go ahead and kick off this podcast today. We have a pianist, composer, and keyboardist who specializes in orchestral arrangements and music for media. Um, you might know him as a keyboard virtuoso in the symphonic death metal band Flesh God Apocalypse. Please welcome Francesco Freini. What's Ooh, up, man? Thanks welcome. for coming on. Hello, guys. Thanks for having me. And it's a really it's a real pleasure for me to be here today. Awesome, man. Yeah, like I've been following you and and Flesh God for a long time. You guys have been one of my favorite bands. And I've always been blown away just by, you know, the amount of attention to detail with like, you know, the orchestral stuff and combining it with death metal. I think that I was telling Nathan earlier, I was like, when I discovered you guys on, I think it was MySpace. I don't know. I don't think you were officially in the band. You you just, did you just do the, the intro piano for Embodied Deception? Basically when I, uh, I was the ghost member of the band mm-hmm. at the time, uh, because I was involved actually in at an early stage when uh, Francesco, when Francesco Paoli started the band, he wanted me to write some, first of all, some orchestral interludes that you can hear, the, the ones that you can hear in um, Oracles, our first mm-hmm. album. And most important, he wanted to point, uh, let's say, the attention towards the classical elements in the music. So, uh, you know, the music was really brutal for probably most people, and it, it still is. It's, you know, technical death metal, heavily influenced by classical music, Baroque music, uh, even romantic or post-romantic music. Mm-hmm. So at the time, he really wanted me to be involved, to put uh, more attention on the classical element that was uh, within the, 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 the band to, through nature in the end. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's not just on the phrasing, not just on, you know, on the riffs or solos. He wanted like the title track for the first album. And this is something that basically it has become a trademark for us. Having for each album, a title track for the album, which is not a song, a proper song involving the whole band, not a metal song, but a piano piece, a piano mm-hmm. track. So in his vision, it's like having the essence of the whole album and the band itself incarnated into something which is completely the opposite of the main musical proposal of the band mm-hmm. so uh, he he wanted me to do something which sounded uh, which was inspired by especially by uh, romantic piano pieces so i started you know sketching he liked what i did and that ended up being oracles and for uh, the intro of embodied De- deception that you mentioned he just wanted something as extreme uh, as the music was and he wanted mm-hmm. something like uh, like a pure virtuoso like crazy yeah. virtuoso piano stuff to start the song and to have that very strong classical sound from within the very first seconds mm-hmm. that's the uh, and again something that could be in contrast with the the music the band provided so uh, that I basically started like that, uh, mm-hmm. just as a session in a way. Yeah, that, I, that honestly, that's one of my favorite intros because that, you know, like you said, it's very virtuosic and, and shreddy, you know, for it's, a, it's a basically unplayable. I mean, I really need to practice. I recorded like a, a while back, I recorded a video for it, uh, yeah, yeah, performing it mm-hmm. because I've uh, during the years I've had many requests in that regard because people wanted me me to to show it because it sounded really crazy and it is so mm. i perform i remember i practiced for about two weeks just that small, it's a it's a short fragment it's like 20 seconds so yeah. 
imagine me like being it, it, it requires so much effort to to nail it that uh, uh, I think maybe for uh, a very very like for a top notch classical concert piano player it might be even I don't know maybe okay like give me the sheet okay piece of cake in, in five minutes but for me uh, it's different so I really needed to practice a lot and with you know slowly building up building it up uh, day after day uh, mm. to kind of to record it and then to relearn it when I had to um, record it in front of a camera so yeah. it was it's and, and today I think I <laughs> wouldn't be able to play it honestly not not at that speed for sure yeah I don't know what it is about us being in death metal bands we just tend to write shit that's way too <laughs> hard like at the time you're just like dude this would be so cool if we did this and like you do you map it all out and you, you know, record it especially when you're working on it all the time and then like when it comes back to like like relearning some stuff it's just like what the hell was I thinking and then especially when it's like years <laughs> later because like I, I feel like our minds tend to change a little bit as the years go on. Like you either start to, you know, want to write a little bit more simplistic or a little bit more like thinking about it in like a more chord structure sense than really, you know, from a technical perspective. But yeah, sometimes like I, I go back and I hear stuff I don't, and I'm just like, why, why was I thinking? <laughs> That's sometimes we, you know, if we look back at our earlier stuff, uh, me, myself personally, or we as a band, uh, we sometimes were like, oh, why did we do that like why did for example why did we keep the snare so loud in the mix like if i think about mafia it's basically a concert for snare and there's some noise <laughs> uh, behind being you know the band performing and it's a, as it's louder much louder than vocals it's it's crazy so the snare, some, the snare is the vocal of that album. No, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, it's it's so it's so over the top. But uh, in a way, people, many of our fans, they they love that stuff as well. I mean, even mm. if we do very different things, many different things now nowadays, there we are. I think more versatile as musicians. We progressed as musicians. I think that uh, me, but everybody in the band, we progressed. We've been mm. progressing and and being more mature. Uh, as we proceeded throughout mm -hmm. the years, and uh, uh, we are we are grown up, let's say in a way. <laughs> now we were yeah. uh, kids, like uh, we had a uh, like a more. We wanted to, to to basically to rip the world apart back then for uh, with, uh, mafia agony. Then we started to you know to grow up and be more being in a way more sophisticated in yeah. what we do. And that's what I like, you know, it's, you can, you can tell there's, there's been an, an evolution, but I think that will never stop for us. I, I, that, I think that you never, never, ever uh, cease to, to grow up as a musician. If you're, if you're curious about music, it's, mm -hmm. it's pretty much like you, you know, you started as a death metal musician and now you're composing uh for you know you, you you for sound iron so you you do your own stuff in a very different way now i mm -hmm. think you you're a much different person a human being and and musician than you were yeah i think it just always stems back to like when i first discovered classical music i i heard Takata and fugue and d minor in a, like a music appreciation class in like seventh grade and mm -hmm. i always had like a propensity for like more darker and kind of moody music because i was listening to like metallica it was probably like my first favorite band and I heard that and it just really stuck and like resonated with me. And then I just eventually kind of got more into classical music. And I've always had that kind of, it's funny because um, 
I saw the Insorte Diaboli uh, DVD where Mustis was kind of showing how he put together the orchestrations for that album. And that mm-hmm. like blew my mind. Like what? You can like create that kind of stuff yourself, like with, you know, keyboard. And it sounded really realistic, especially when you listen to some of the early stuff, because Demi was doing stuff like sounded like the soundtrack for Batman 2 mixed with like black metal and like death metal. And I thought that was like the coolest thing. And I've never really heard that. So I always kind of had that, like wanting to do like, death metal and orchestra like that was why i was like i want to build a home studio so i can kind of like learn how to do that stuff but i had no idea so i was just trying to figure it out along the way and then when i heard that embodied deception song i was like sons of bitches they did it like that i was like that's what i've been kind of wanting to hear like and yeah. i mean and i mean of course like as time got has gone on you guys have incorporated more of the symphonic elements which i think just really mm-hmm. took it to like the next level it was kind of like the i think the the next like evolution coming was to really like start infusing that that orchestral elements actually with the music and i think like that's when i was like all right now they're just creating that some that, cool that shit. was part of the plan uh at some point at least it started started being part of the part of the plan but i simply didn't know it because they didn't tell me uh but <laughs> <laughs> at some point when they got the first uh, recording deal with Nuclear Blast after their suffocation tour because basically what happened is that uh, they played in Los Angeles. The you know some people from the A and R department of uh, Nuclear Blast America they were there and they you know kind of discovered they really liked what they saw mm-hmm. and they already knew Flashcard for Mafia and Oracle so they wanted that you know they they gave them a shot. Uh, entry-level basic contract, but still uh, a big leap uh, from what they had before. So they started talking with me about adding some symphonic elements within the songs, not just as interludes, not just as intros or, uh, you know, piano tracks and and such. So I was like, okay, let's do something that uh, they wanted to do something that wouldn't bring this symphonic element to the extreme at Mm -hmm. first. They wanted to keep their old, you know, trademark sound. They didn't want to scare people away with tons of symphonic elements at first. Mm-hmm. So we started, you know, um, adding, uh, working on some progressions together, uh, starting adding some choir lines, some string lines, some piano lines on the actual songs uh, mm-hmm. with, with, you know, blended with guitars and everything. But after a few days, Francesco was like, I, I like this, but we might do something more extreme. We, we, we can do something that, uh, in a way, incorporates the style that other bands already experimented, like Bimu. You mentioned Bimu. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think they're probably the first to fully involve uh, the, the, the full symphonic sound, a, a truly cinematic sound mm-hmm. uh, with metal, with real orchestras also. Yeah. So... He wanted to do something like that, but less, let's say, elfmanish or less, mm-hmm. let's say, dark, more uh, following the classical mood that was the trademark of the band. So he wanted something more, yeah, with, with a strong classical flavor, more operatic, more uh, triumphant in a way, mm-hmm. uh, less dark and scary than, you know, uh, uh, dec- and decadent less decadent than uh, than Demo or having a completely different mood. Incorporating the energy of the band, the classical elements, the classical phrasing and the classical harmonies mm-hmm. with heavy symphonic layers. 
and having everything much more chaotic than the traditional, because, you know, the standard orchestral slash keyboard arrangements that, you know, in metal, he, that's, this has been a thing for decades now, but he wanted something more extreme. He wanted something, okay, I want to kind of transmit the, the energy that comes, especially from drums uh, and from the furious tremolo picks that we have and the, the, the fury of the music mm-hmm. uh, onto the orchestra as well. So we, I want you to, do, to go like fully, to, to go crazy, to go nuts on this. I want you to have like any sort of crazy layering and crazy accents all the time and, and uh, really uh, interacting with us all the time. So mm-hmm. that ended up being agony that yeah. was meant to be very different at first. It was like a more, let's say, a catchier, like more commercial in a way. It, it, I'm not, I don't think commercial is a bad uh, word, but uh, if we want to put it... If a little more easily like, di- digestible. More, and- I, yeah, I easily more mature version of Mafia yeah. with some orchestral lines. That, that mm-hmm. was the intent at first. Then it ended up a big agony. So it's a crazy chaos of orchestra and drums with guitars being uh, most of the time being some kind of a a counterline to all of Mm -hmm. this. So it's vocals, orchestra and drums, what you hear first. Most of the drum accents and vocal parts, they're kind of crafted around the orchestra and vice versa. So it's, Mm -hmm. we we worked a lot on vocals and drums and orchestra together. Then we found ways of incorporating Sometimes we started from guitars, like you, you can tell from songs like The Egoism, it's, it's guitar driven. It's, mm-hmm. it's like basically it's a, the first idea was played on guitar and then orchestrated and then arranged uh, as a, you know, to, to, to blend with the other songs. But most of the stuff was basically we started by uh, with I, I had Francesco humming his idea for mm-hmm. the orchestra very often, like for the violation. He was basically like like he, he does very often. He he comes out of a shower in the morning or it's, it's the, the time of the day when he's most relaxed. So he, can, he it's under the shower that he has this, the, his coolest ideas. Typically it's, it's, it's a, it sounds like a joke, but it, it's not. He no, was like yeah. the, the day after he was like, Oh, you know, I have a, a this kind of a Mozart ripoff that we can do a song with. Mm-hmm. And he started singing like the, the main fragment, the main motif of the mm-hmm. song, at least the, the first few bars. And then we started sketching on the piano using a string, like a string patch. And then the rest is history. <laughs> it's funny. It makes me think, of, is it the movie Amadeus where like, he's like, all right, so the, the brass are going to go bum, 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 bum. All right, now keep going. All right, now the strings are going to yeah. be dun, 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 and like, yeah, yeah, it all he, like he, coming he, together. <laughs> it was, it was pretty much like that. He was, he would like, okay, I want like, brass to be like like this so i can sing on them mm-hmm. or i want like have this i want these accents here on on this specific spot so i can accent with drums and you put like i don't know woodwinds or brass or whatever here or mm-hmm. you 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 know stuff like that that he's not a piano player he's not a keyboardist but he has uh some great it. intuitions and he's also classically trained he's been uh he studied a classical contrabass oh, wow. uh, double bass i don't know if the, what's the american term like double bass like class, classical yeah, bass, yeah, yeah. double bass mm-hmm. uh for uh, for years in the conservatory so oh, wow. he started really cool. as a bass player so he can't even <laughs> play bass yes so wow, i didn't know that that's pretty cool so when you guys are arranging music because like 
like with the early stuff there was since there wasn't as much orchestral elements but the guitars were very like a lot of counterpoint and very you know like a lot yeah. of musical stuff going on uh do you feel like now if there are ideas that are more like that on the guitar do you tend to like take a more of a back seat when it comes to the orchestral arrangement and then if there's like a full-on orchestral piece like do you ever write orchestral parts first and then have them write guitars to that or is it usually if there's a more simple rhythm then you kind of let the orchestra kind of flow more over it just for like things not clashing or the process for us has always been very organic because we we try to develop the idea from the early stages yeah that might be an idea which is played on guitar or uh, a riff you know for example or it can be even a piano part that i came out uh, with but it's always um when we start it's typically very very raw mm-hmm. uh i don't know how how else i can define that it turns up really different in the end it's a, it's a very long process because we try to be as simple as possible for on the first idea and then we try to enrich things as they pros- progress through so the first idea is always motive a melody like the uh, for example the first um song after the intro on the album king it's basically it's a brass melody and we pushed a lot on brass on that part on the first riff which is mm-hmm. some kind of uh wagnerian uh triumphant uh kind of anthem and we we wanted it to be that way but the first time i heard that idea it was from francesco and he was playing that on guitar using tremolo pick so but he was already imagining it. He uh, imagined that phrase, that that specific idea, which changed with time. Of course, we 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 added other like uh, twists and and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But the the very basic idea was written on guitar. But already we he was already thinking about the orchestra doubling it. And there are ways to, of course, the way you treat something like that within the orchestra. I mean, it's very typical for us to have choir or brass parts or even string parts, not literally doubling whatever guitars are doing, but outlining the, if you have a tremolo peak part, which is a death metal trademark, mm-hmm. you might have, you know, whole notes or quarter notes or eighth notes uh, within like the shape of the melody. Even mm-hmm. if you have like very fast tremolo peak on that. So I basically deconstruct that and assign that to one or more sections, but it's just an example of how organic this process is. It's not just simply, okay, I have a guitar part, a tremolo pick, I put tremolo strings, or I just double, or I just put something completely different on top. It's always a very organic process where, okay, but if you put strings in here, now it sounds shitty uh, because guitars can be, you know, written differently. Or mm-hmm. if you, maybe an idea is very cool on guitar, but when you just double it on strings or choir or whatever it is, it sounds very different and not as effective. Mm-hmm. Because guitar distorted guitars for the range, if you especially if you're playing riff, the range that you're using, the sound that you have, this it's distorted, it's nasty. Mm-hmm. And sometimes if you just double it with cellos or violas, it just sounds more cheesy. So you have to figure out ways to incorporate violas or uh, strings in general or whatever it is into that riff without you know getting too much away from it, but finding ways to carve everything around it with mm-hmm. or maybe adding even more value to it without changing its nature so it's it's a very very complicated process that 
differs from riff to riff. I typically, when we start working, I, uh, one of the first things we, we work on is the structure, the basic idea and structures. Then we decide how much weight in terms of orchestration we want to add on a specific part. Sometimes it, we started experimenting with extended techniques, aleatoric techniques, uh, uh, atonal stuff. Uh, more recently, with from King going on, we discovered we started using more atonal stuff like percussions or even aleatoric effect that that are uh, taken uh, on the mainstream on a mainstream side. They are taken from you know horror and thrillers mm-hmm. and. But let's say historically speaking, uh, they're basically uh, textures, techniques that were, were developed by uh, late classical composers, like, like contemporary composers like Penderecki, mm-hmm. Oligetti. Uh, so it's all so all sorts of stuff that end up being part of uh, horror movie scores and, and stuff like that. So I started incorporating that as an element of tension or simple noisy colors and, and stuff like that. Uh, that. That's something that I don't hear often uh, in maybe nowadays it's it happens more but back in the days uh, having orchestra orchestration uh, symphonic elements in metal music mean what was meaning okay let's put some string chords on top or string melodies or some choirs or everything was even when it was very well crafted like if you think about uh, power metal bands like rhapsody or you know mm-hmm. or even even symphonics uh, oh, yeah. it was pretty much 99% tonal and kind of melodic. Mm-hmm. Uh, so nowadays it's being different for, for us, but also for other bands, uh, for other, you know, uh, projects, I guess, because everybody now is more, nowadays it's easier to, to get, you know, familiar mm-hmm. with uh, different techniques or with uh, different soundscapes in general. So even technology, you know, you can mm-hmm. get a, crazily good libraries for cheap price so it's 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 crazy what you can do mm-hmm. with just a laptop yeah the, the the means of entry is a lot easier these days i remember like back in the day when i was just like you know that's how i actually found out about sound iron i was working on a, a solo project and i was just like i just want to get like a cool epic choir for this mm-hmm. part because like i was using a choir from another sample library back in the day but it didn't i didn't really like it that much but i was listening to some of the demos on the for Olympus Choir on the website at the time. And I was just like, oh my God, like this is only $99, you know? And I, w- I wanted to get the micro, but at the time it wasn't player. So I was like, ah, well, I don't have the full version of Contact. Well, all right, I'll get that. And like just completely replaced all my choirs because I was just like, all right, cool. Like I'll, I'll use that one. Back then it was definitely not as uh, easy to come by. It's crazy how easy it is. Also resources uh, mm-hmm. not, not just music resources that kind of, you know, Spotify, YouTube, whatever, but also uh, tutorials. Like, uh, it's crazy how many things you can find nowadays that if I think about 15 years ago, when I started <coughs> being interested in this, it was so much more difficult to find mm-hmm. uh, practical examples of yeah. very complicated things that could be less complicated if you saw them in practice, like you can do today mm-hmm. with your channel, for example, if I think about your channel, if I think about Alex Mukala channel, for example, which is mm-hmm. a big fan. I don't know if you know him, but yeah, he's, yeah, uh, he's yeah. so he funny. A, I mean, he, he makes cool videos. all these very complicated concepts so easy for the, let's say the, even for a novice, for a beginner. Uh, so, uh, but if I think of uh, the, the number of things, uh, even, even complicated things that I learned on YouTube, 
uh, in the past few years uh, compared to what, how much I was struggling before then, scrolling through forums or reading oh, yeah. uh, ebooks about orchestration. And but it's it's not as actually having a, a, a I don't know a score breakdown or a score analysis video. I, I didn't attend. Um, I don't have a degree or any kind of diploma in, in, in music. I, I studied, I, I, I have, um, I went to college, but I studied something different. So mm-hmm. it's, for me, it's, I'm completely self-taught. In, awesome. Uh, except for a, a few piano lessons that I had uh, when I was like a teenager. But for me, this, this, this new world that, that we have is, is priceless. Yeah. And whenever, if people ever ask me like, oh, did you go to school or anything? I just tell them, nope, I went to YouTube University. <laughs> yeah. That's where I, I learned, dude, I learned so much stuff on YouTube. No, I, mean, I mean, I studied, I studied like quite extensively in terms of uh, orchestration, but, and before then in terms of harmony, mm-hmm. I, I was, I've been reading a lot, uh, honestly. It's not like that I'm some kind of uh, genius that can become proficient at something just watching a few YouTube videos, like many, you know, many people <laughs> can. Uh, but I had to study a lot. I, I had to practice a lot with uh, in creativity, especially. I mean, being creative is something that you have to practice with a lot. Mm-hmm. And you have, besides theory, that that it, having a basic theoretical foundation in school. But I think that what you might miss in college, uh, that many, you know, even really great students, they 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 might miss. It's not knowledge, but imagination. Sometimes it's the, the lack of real creativity besides composition exercises, uh, besides writing a fugue, following all the guidelines, all the counterpoint guidelines that you might memorize and might end up being completely formulaic and, and based on what everyone else, else was doing uh, 400 years ago. It's uh, being really creative and develop your own language. That's something so difficult and that requires so much practice mm-hmm. uh, and trial error trial error like oh, i've yeah. written so much garbage uh since i started so <laughs> yeah learning and applying i think is like if because i know there's some people and going to school is definitely great if that works for you because some some people need that discipline of like okay i'm gonna go to this class i'm gonna sit there i'm gonna learn everything they're gonna Absolutely. tell me i'm gonna you know but like if you're one of those people that you know have that more like autodactic personality and you get you know really into what whatever you're into you know, you'll, you'll find a way and you'll figure out a way and just like learning and applying, you know, it's like you or get inspired. You hear something, Oh, I wonder how they did that. And then you just kind of like go on that exploration of trying to f- find it on your own. It's like when you're looking for new bands and you're just like, you almost enjoy the search just because it's like, and then when you find it, you're like, man, like you really appreciate it a lot more because uh, I mean, nowadays it's like so much music just getting thrown all over the place. It's almost hard to keep up, but it's like back in the day when stuff wasn't really as easy to find, especially with like music education or, you know, I remember I used to get like duplicated uh, VHSs of like old guitar instructional videos and stuff from like Tony McAlpine and like Vinnie Moore and all these guys. And like, I would just burn those things out, just watching them all the time. But it wasn't, wasn't easy to find back in the day. You had to kind of like, it's like the, the tape trading, you know. I remember the infamous first guitar method from Petrucci. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, what's the, what's the rock discipline? Yeah, I remember my guitar player at the time in the, my local band wasn't even, he was like, man, I'm struggling just to just getting past the first few minutes when he's warming up and showing the extension of his end. Uh, it's crazy. You know, it's, uh, or Michael Romeo, the, oh yeah, 
I remember some some friend some friend of mine like downloading it from Emule or something like that. Some <laughs> from uh, something like that. But very very uh, otherwise it was impossible to get. Yeah. Completely in Italy. You imagine it's like, oh man, look at this video. It was very very low resolution, and you had Michael Romeo fucking explaining. I don't know, out of the ashes or. Yeah, like uh, Sea of Lies yeah. solo, like the little Sea of Lies solo, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, a lot of that stuff was, yeah, it was just like when you came across it, like like that's how it was for me when I came across Rest of Cooley because like I just got a computer and I was like getting into the, like the guitar shred stuff. I was into like Ingbe and, and stuff like that. And I just looked like Googled shred guitar or whatever and Rest of Cooley popped up and <laughs> I was just like, oh my God. It was just like all the guys that I've seen, but like, you know, even like, I mean, Michelangelo Badia was like the one of the other guys who... I saw who was playing really quick, but he was like him even on more cocaine, not really doing cocaine, but you know what I mean? Like, just like, you don't know, you don't know. Maybe. I don't, I don't know, uh, man, uh, to play some of that stuff is, and he was just doing these like wild stretches and playing so super fast and just doing all these crazy arpeggios and stuff. And I just like got some of his old CD-ROMs and just like nerded out on that for a long time. And yeah, it was a lot of fun just like stumbling across that stuff as a kid. But yeah, I wanted to talk a little bit about it. Like, so like, how did you get into music and and how did you start kind of beginning that journey? I've always liked music in general. I've always listened to a lot of music since I was a kid. I started taking, I wanted to take piano lessons when I was 14 or 15. I don't remember. Uh, I asked my mom to start piano lessons because we, I had like a, classmate at the time he wanted to start uh, a band and playing some <laughs> i was recently introduced to metal i started listening to metallica blind guardian i remember there were magazines with this compilations on cds and i started even listening to very obscure stuff like lacrimosa you know lacrimosa the band from germany no they, I don't think they have a they they were incorporating like real orchestras and they they play some like gothic stuff in in German, uh, mm-hmm. very dark stuff but beautiful and also Rage you know the band Rage. No, uh, I haven't heard them actually. From Europe, yeah, like Metallica was my one of the first metal bands that I really got into. I've always been fascinated by orchestras and and the, the piano like as an instrument. So I remember my mother was started asking around, and. <laughs> The first answer that we got from a very popular piano teacher at the time, and he was, you know, kind of a a famous guy. The first real answer that we got was, oh, but is he starting now? He's too old. Really? I I didn't want to. He's not five years old. I didn't want to to become become Lang Lang or or, uh, Polini. I just wanted to be like to play for fun. Mm -hmm. Uh, But (laughs) I I was, you know, I had uh, already noticed that I had a decent ear so I could you know figure out things on the piano by ear but that's that was not not enough for him uh, he just said you know you you will never do anything you can't expect to do anything serious with music uh, if you start now <laughs> so just just shut you down right at right from the gate like yeah, right from the get-go right like the start. you're not going to be great kids sorry I just want to break it to you, you know? <laughs> Like a jerk. I was like, okay. Um, so my first piano lesson, uh, uh, it was more a meeting than a lesson. Didn't go that well. But then we found another teacher. She was uh, a very nice person. I started with her for a few months. Then I remember I had a, a bicycle accident and I I broke my pinky. Uh. So I stopped for a. I had to stop for a few weeks 
weeks, but I was young and stupid. So I didn't carry on the lessons after that. So after three or four years, the um, infamous like band project that I had with my classmate, uh, after a few years that it was actually starting to happen in a way we, we started, you know, figuring out ways to, you know, we wanted to do our own music. So it was very uh, childish in a way, but uh, we, we wanted to do that. Okay. I said, let's make it happen. So for, I remember I was, um, I asked for, uh, I don't remember, like a birthday gift, uh, a very crappy, uh, I had a very crappy, uh, was a GEM, like it was a very uh, entry level. Mm-hmm. Uh, We've sampled some uh, of those. Very, <laughs> very, very entry level arranger keyboard for for real beginners. So mm-hmm. it was a toy, basically, 61 keys. And I started practicing with that and with the upright piano that we had uh, at, at, at home. It's like an old upright that my mom uh, God, um, I started practicing there and, and having like that, then I joined a local band. So the, the very first band that I had in mind, it's actually something that never happened in the end. But uh, I shortly after I joined a local band where a Paolo, the bass player from flash God was already playing. So oh, okay. we've been playing together since I was 18. Oh, that's cool. Um, yeah, we started having our first shows and we were playing basically. It's It was like uh, Children of Bottom were becoming huge back then. Mm-hmm. Uh, like they were exploding. Yeah. So we were like, it was a mixture of uh, classic metal, like uh, Iron Maiden, uh, Judas. We had uh, even a couple of uh, Judas Priest covers, uh, but we we blended it with, you know, more like heavier stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and more like melodic death metal and stuff like that. And then I remember at some point Tommaso, the first singer for that. I mean, the first singer after Francesco that that who left uh, mm-hmm. in 2017 joined. So we basically, yeah, we we had three guys from Flashcut from this on this band at mm-hmm. the time. Then I started after a few years of playing i i was already at the time practicing a lot i remember practicing because i wanted to kind of uh, make up for the time i wasted doing silly things and not developing my ability in music so i really remember like hours of, and hours of practice mm-hmm. to you know make up for it so i started being decent then good in a way for the 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 local standards and I started, <laughs> I also joined other bands. I started, you know, having experience with that. And I also, after that, I remember that I started also, after a few years, developing a very, a big interest, like a very strong interest towards not just technique, like not just pure technique, but what, what was actually happening behind the music, behind the music that I loved. Mm-hmm. And I started being more and more interesting but I, I i've always been kind of interested in like movie scores mm-hmm. i've always loved movies so i've always loved cinema music yeah uh, so that i started you know i remember that i uh, when i discovered uh, i think that the first biggest influences in terms of, of metal music was dream theater mm-hmm. so i remember that it was at that time that i started studying a lot more on the uh, like on a practical level, but also a few years later, I started developing this strong interest towards harmony, uh, composition. I started studying classical harmony, classical counterpoint, and then trying to explore like bits of 
whatever I, I did what pretty much in a way what Francesco did on drums. I, I was dealing with very complicated concepts be, that were behind the music that I loved. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, I was lacking some basics that I was slowly building as I progressed. So in the end, I, you know, I ended up being what I am today. So I'm kind of, uh, you know, I have, I think, a good theoretical knowledge. I know I am an avid reader. Nowadays, we have YouTube. So let's say um, I am very much into like very nerdy things also on YouTube uh, about, you know, harmony and theory and music production. But it's always very, how do you say that? Like erratic. Uh, it's always been very... Like controlled uh, chaos almost? Like Yeah, like... controlled chaos. That, that, that's, that's, <laughs> I that's use that term. Point. Yeah, yeah. Basically, okay, I, I like this song. I like this track. In particular, I, I like this. I love this symphony. I love this piano piece. Also, okay, let's see what's behind that. Yeah, let's see the. So I started discovering things that I maybe I started practicing with things that I discovered the theory behind them just years later. That mm-hmm. that's the point. And then Flash Code started in 2010, mm-hmm. uh, like as a permanent member because you know Francesco, after having involved me in all the in you know in the in the production and the songwriting, he said, okay, but we want, we need someone. If we really, really go crazy on the symphonic element, we also need someone to take care of it uh, as a full-time member, not just for the, let's say, technical duties or uh, not just for songwriting. That's something that, you know, I could do with you, even if you have a day job. But -hmm. the problem is for me to have someone on stage when I play that in that people can see like it's not just a backing track of all the stuff it's like you're actually seeing yeah, someone on stage even even if we if you of course we have pre-recorded tracks because you know better than me that that it's uh, even if you're a really good piano player uh, way better than me there's no way to get the kind of realism if you even if you have the fanciest laptop and mm-hmm. the fanciest hands uh, live uh, everything has to be carefully programmed and mixed. So I basically, what, what we started doing from the album Labyrinth and then going on is having me playing piano all the time. So mm-hmm. I basically, sometimes I just double riffs or I add like percussive layers or just maybe some laying down some chords or maybe having some uh, music box, box effects on top, finding to, ways to incorporate the piano everywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, and to sneak in, to sneak it in in a very dense mix, which is not a, an easy task. Oh, yeah. uh, and that's what I do all the time now. But back then, even when we were we weren't doing that, not literally, I was doubling uh, the orchestra with a string patch. That's what I did. But at least people, it's not for the quality of the sound or the quality of my playing. It's because in his vision, in Francesco's vision, and I think he's, he was totally right. People had a like it's like Mustis for Dimo. Mm-hmm. Even if they're playing Progenies of the Great Apocalypse, there's still him performing it on a keyboard mm-hmm. with maybe a crappy string sound, but <laughs> yeah. very low in the mix. Like, uh, but, but it's he, he's there. People yeah. knows he's in charge for that. He's responsible for that element in the music, and mm-hmm. that's very important. You know, many many bands are like, okay, we we use baking tracks, but having an actual member, someone who, you know, even other keyboard players or maybe just other musicians in general can identify with, or even even just fans, just having, okay, I love this band because it has piano, strings, choirs. Who's doing that? Mm-hmm. Him. Okay, he's the guy. He's the, the, bold, the only bold guy in the band. 
being like <laughs> playing random stuff on the piano and mm-hmm. just, it's like that it's an image but it's an image thing but it's also a, a philosophy thing mm-hmm. in a way so it's 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 connected with the music yeah it's like tying all those elements together visually and having yeah a person on stage performing those things i saw you did a 2020 live streaming show uh, yeah. on youtube how did that go that was really good and really honestly if i have to be honest really emotional for us yeah because it's the only live shows that we performed okay not the only one because we actually toured uh, we we actually one of the few bands that managed to tour in 2020 oh wow which is uh, it's weird because we actually toured in the uk before covid uh, spread so right. Then we, we went back home. We had another like a U.S. tour planned uh, with a string quintet. It's so a very fancy thing, very mm-hmm. a beautiful thing that never happened, unfortunately, yeah. because, you know, everything went down the hill from mm-hmm. then on. And yeah, so uh, we basically needed to find ways to we started. I remember that year we started, you know, doing producing more content for uh, to be to stay active online to sell yeah. also to sell merch online which was our only way to kind of stay afloat mm-hmm. so i remember that um everybody was doing the, those live streaming shows some of them were really fancy or ended up be, being like with full production and everything mm-hmm. uh, some others were, were more intimate but you know our band is the music is strongly connected with our characters on stage with the visuals, with the imagery and everything. So we're like, okay, man, we can't do something. I mean, it's very risky to go like to do something uh, and not just risky, but it's, it feels so weird and so unnatural to be dressed like that with makeup, to have a, like a stage lights and everything mm-hmm. and play like the evil dudes uh, with all the, the costumes and, and the, the blood and the sweat in front of no one because yeah. there's no audience. There's no possible audience for us. So it feels so, it will feel so weird. And we don't have the means that other bands, I don't, I don't know if you're Craig for sure. I don't know if Nathan is familiar with uh, bands like uh, Behemoth or, uh, you know, that there are, there are, or Nightwish, I don't know, that they produced during the past 12 months or, or more after the live streaming thing started being more popular. Mm-hmm. Uh, bigger bands started to invest more in this kind of content sure. uh, product. So you can see amazing live streaming shows from uh, Within Temptation, Nightwish, with like full virtual stages or uh, Powerwolf or behemoth they they shot this crazy live show uh, inside a, a, an abandoned cathedral oh wow uh, with 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 pyros with crazy like uh, real time edits and uh, images and uh, actors and dancers and you know, anything you you can imagine so it's a very cool visual experience but we didn't have the budget for something like that mm. so and it was very risky but also we didn't feel the first thing that uh, that we thought was, okay, we don't have, we can't do that. We, we, when we act, when we do like the angry Italian zombies playing classical music with a face painting and everything, we are acting in front of crowd of a crowd who kind of yelling at us all the time. Yeah. So we like can kind of, energy it's and all an that. exchange of, of energy for us. And you can do that. 
but we are not like that in real life. I mean, I'm here with the LED lights and 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 the tablet, and I'm at just a, a guy with with Cubase, and I can't do that in front of no one, in front of a camera. Mm-hmm. That that's that wouldn't be authentic. Yeah, it's definitely hard to get pumped up for for something when you don't have that crowd energy. It, yeah, it, it's definitely a, a whole nother thing when you have, you know, five, six hundred thousand, ten thousand people in front of you. It, like it completely even if changes. There are fifty, even if they are fifty, but they're fully committed to what you're doing, it can be a really cool show. Yeah, you know, it, you give that energy back. Or if you have a crazy full production, so it's basically like shooting a video clip, mm-hmm. but you know that behind you there's I don't know, some Hollywood trickery and there's like a great cinematography, great effect, great lights and, and a great show. Then, of course, like we do in our uh, music videos, we can perform something like that. We can try to be as energetic and powerful as possible, even on camera. But that's a different thing. It's, mm-hmm. it's so different. You know what the outcome is and how people will see that. But with our budget and with with all the situation there, also imagine that uh, at the time was really difficult to. It was summer, so it was you know COVID kind of uh, was all the restrictions and everything was uh, more loose and more, uh, more safer. But still, so we at some point we I remember we planned to do something bigger uh, in the fall, but then we realized okay, the fall is going to be nasty again. Yeah. So. Uh, let's avoid that completely because it's a big financial risk. So at the time it was, everything was messed up. The risk was really high and we didn't really feel like doing a proper show with costumes and props in front of cameras. Mm -hmm. So we decided to do the exactly the opposite. We have this really fancy, really, really cool studio in near Rome where uh, big pop acts uh, actually, you know, they record and, and perform there on a daily basis. We decided, okay, let's do something. Okay, let, let's not do the rehearsal room thing, which is not good. You know, we don't want to do that, but do something in the middle. Let's do something which is cool to see, eye-catching, but on the other hand, more intimate. So showing, I, we felt also was more appropriate for the time. Okay, let's be naked more naked, like more ourselves, like dressed as in, in casual clothes, performing, just let, let the music speak. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that's also one of the reasons why we decided to do that. And then we shot the like a, an acoustic version of an older song that they will be gone in the same environment. Uh, it's a completely different video if you compare it to, other, to all our other music videos because we are just ourselves uh, mm-hmm. writing the song, recording, mixing like you know working in the studio and being together in the rehearsal we wanted to give people another vision another glimpse you know what we are and people just went crazy nobody complained about the lack of costumes the lack of blood lights or what or mm-hmm. like uh, nobody like everybody was like wow they did they really did something different i loved it uh, I, and everybody wanted to see after we we streamed it. Everybody wanted to to see that again. So we had we re-uploaded it uh, for another weekend. Uh, and people still, you know, sometimes I see comments around of people asking about the live show and when is going to be released because people, you know, saw a different side of us. Yeah, bunch of guys just just doing what they love the most and mm-hmm. not just acting in front of a crowd, but 
being more, you know, naked. Yeah, because it's not just about the aesthetics. It's like at the heart of everything. If you close your eyes, you just you hear all this amazing stuff going on. And the the visuals should just be more of like like an aid to that. But at the core of it, it's yeah, it's like a group of people getting together and just, you know, putting it all out. I think it was a great chance for people to be focused more on the music, uh, especially because, you know, playing for live streaming is that you get you get all the details much better. We also had uh, Eugene, who just uh, joined the band, the new drummer. uh, Mm -hmm. he, He had performed with us in UK just. It was like a general rehearsal for us, but that was, let's say, the biggest show that he had in, in front of a bigger audience because we had, I don't remember, like a couple of thousand viewers. So it was really good considering that everybody was doing that and people was, at, you know, everybody was at home. So it was a great chance for, for, for them to, but, but many didn't. I remember at the time, many were skeptical, many, especially metal heads were like, oh, I'm not, you know, watching live streams because yeah. I miss that kind of energy. So mm-hmm. um, I, I think that we missed many of them be- because they were, you know, they had doubts. And that's, 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 I understand that because it's a very different thing. But yeah. it, all, all things considered, it was good. Yeah, sounds like a, a great success. I think there was a lot of bands who were, or, or not bands, but fans who were open to it because it's a means of supporting and hey, you know what? I can't go see shows, but this is, is about as close as I can get right now. And, you know, not yeah. only are you helping support the bands, but it's like, well, I would love to go see them live. But if this is my only means right now, then, hey, you know. People who want to support, they, they, they will always find out. And this is a good chance. I remember we also sold, we, we, we produced a specific T-shirts designed for that. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember that we sold many of those. We sold more merch than on an average headliner show mm-hmm. because people who attended loved it and wanted to support even more. Mm-hmm. So they bought the Live at Bloom Studio T-shirt, and it was really, really cool. It was also for us very, uh, like a precious help. Oh, yeah. uh, uh, and on the other hand, you had people saying, "Oh, this is the future, man. Get used to it. Uh, this mm-hmm. is what all all we got for the next decade." And now all the bands are starting to do it. So it's the new formula. Uh, and of course, it didn't happen because as, 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 you know, as soon as live shows and venues started opening again, a restriction being lifted and everything, of course, live shows started like uh, skyrocketing. Uh, like in the US, I think there are 15 metal tours at the same time right now. Yeah, it's probably just, probably just everyone is just like crossing paths. But I, I feel like, especially now I've been seeing a lot of shows where they're just selling out like shows that maybe you didn't necessarily think would have usually sold out, you know, maybe three or four years ago, just because Mm -hmm. I think people are just so hungry to go out there and see live music again. Yeah. And, and a lot of bands are probably, they've been without being on the road or just hustling and networking online and just like putting, you know, as much stuff out there and working on new music. So it's like when everything just, it's like, all right, time to do it. And now we can. Like, people are just, you know, that much more hungry to go out and see live music, which Absolutely. is awesome. Have you seen Archspire? Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that was the tour I was thinking about. It was uh, Archspire, as Entheos, and I think in, in Fury. Mm-hmm. And yeah. And, I, and I'll see, you know, Malcolm posting, oh, sold out show. Or Naveen and Cheney, you know, sold out show. And it's just like, wow, that's, that's really awesome. We were talking about Live Nation 
and they said that ticket sales are up 20% from 2019. So it's fully rebounded and then some. So everyone everyone and their mom are going to be at shows. Uh, can you tell us about your live setup? You got like multiple keyboards, a laptop. What's what's going on there? Uh, actually, my live setup is very, it's, it's very essential because like I said, I mean, in terms of, uh, of, uh, of live show, we have uh, basically it's we, we split our live rig in two separate units because we carefully weighted everything not to exceed the, you know, the, the typical, you know, uh, air, air, aircraft Flight luggage stuff. limitations that nice. you have. Nice. Uh, yeah. So it's we, we, everything is within like the two units. Uh, each one of them uh, is within 23 kilos, which is the standard not to, to avoid overweight. Uh, because you, if you have to pay overweight uh, at, at that point, it's better to pay for an extra baggage. So it's because it's yeah. pretty much the same cost. Mm -hmm. So we, since we fly a lot, uh, sometimes we fly every day for uh, in Australia, for example, Australian tours, South American tours, Asian tours, you, you fly almost every day. So we have that which is very basic. I mean, we have um, uh, everything is running through. Uh, we, we have a MacBook Air, which runs our baking tracks, stereo baking tracks. Uh, I split, like I have a main orchestral mix with let's say 90% of it. Then I have an extra track. Uh, I, I, I run Cubase AI because I don't need that many tracks. And uh, it's at, uh, now it's, it's different, but um, you know, when, when I started using it, it was the only one uh, without the dongle, uh, with uh, mm. I, I, I just don't want to waste a USB. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I hate dongles. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, I hate that. Also, you know, where you're where you're on tour, where you're on stage, it, it's risky because if it gets broken or lost, you're you're fucked. So yeah, uh, one more thing to break and go wrong. Yeah, yeah. So uh, Cubase AI stereo baking track for the orchestra, another baking tracks for the extra vocals, uh, then click tracks for everyone. All everyone, you know, we. We ended up having each one has uh, had their own uh, personalized click track with personalized accents. And so we have like four in total with oh, different wow. scents. Then, yeah, we run, um, I don't know if you're familiar with Overloud TH2. It's a guitar plugin from an Italian company. It's very lightweight. So I run three instances of it with, uh, yeah, the two guitars and the bass. So everything is running through our laptop. No, no campers, no, no axe effects, nothing that, that could weight, could bring the overall weight over 23 kilos, basically. Mm -hmm. And it's also expensive. <laughs> so mm -hmm. not to mention that. So yeah. it's, um, uh, it's dead and everything is routed onto a uh, Motu 8828. Uh, expanded via uh, ADAT with it, everything. Basically, we have more channel provided by a Focusrite preamp, uh, Octopre, I don't know if mm -hmm. you guys know it, with, yeah. uh, you know, built-in compressors and, and stuff. Uh, so, and then we have a splitter, like a passive splitter and a patch bay uh, to make it simple. So basically, we um, everything is sent then to uh, Sennheiser's, uh, in-ears, uh, sorry, um, wireless monitoring systems. Uh, everyone has, uh, you know, we have, uh, everyone have uh, their own. And it's pretty much it. I mean, we have everything coming from there except for drums. Drums, mm -hmm. we, if anyone needs it, 
um, we, we, we get a feed from the front of house. Mm-hmm. So, um, and everything is going, everything else is going through the rack. Then all the mics, the vocal mics are splitted. So one signal is routed outside through the patch bay. Then we have a big loom with all the outputs that are, you know, that are going, it's a, it's a big like snake going, it's a like 10 meter snake going to the front of house to the, to the, the, to the stage box. We have also, oh, the, yeah, the kick trigger also is going inside the rack uh, for listening. And um, yeah, and it's pretty much, although uh, for me, <laughs> me personally, I just have here in Europe, I have uh, Roland FP30, which is a very basic, let's say, student digital piano. The reason why I use it is that we have a piano shell like a wooden piano, real piano shell. It's basically a real upright piano, an old one, yeah. which has been emptied. We took out, we had someone taking out all the, the hammers, the harp inside, which is the, the heaviest thing that you have inside the piano, the keyboard, everything. And we put the keyboard, the, the fake, the digital piano inside it. Mm-hmm. So I've seen that, yeah. Illusion is, you know, the first time we, I remember we had the first piano, we, 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 we built it uh, and it was the old upright that my mother has in her living room. And oh, the, wow. the, that was the piano I was practicing with when I was younger. So we destroyed it. I mean, we, we emptied it. Uh, we had the piano inside and the, my first digital piano was a Yamaha uh, P90. And I still have a Yamaha P90 in the US because it's pretty much, you know, we, we use very basic digital pianos for for the simple reason that they sound good they have a weighted you know a great action mm-hmm. which i which i like great keyboard action uh weighted like graded 88 keys um hammer action a nice piano sound which is i everything i can ask for i don't use sample libraries live i i, I think i just think it's not worth it, it our music is very dense and I just have a few exposed piano parts. I, I, I don't think it's worth it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I just use the built-in sounds, the, the keyboard sounds, very fast. Like you, you just trigger it and it's ready. Mm-hmm. So, and no technical issues whatsoever, uh, yeah. unless someone pulls the plug. So um, <laughs> trips on a cable or something. <laughs> yeah, so, sometimes it happens, you know, so it happened. So it's uh, <laughs> last show we had uh, one guy go, went on stage and walked on the on the power strip and everything like well so the the whole rock oh yeah yeah (laughs) yeah i think that's always been the thing that scares me about that idea like i think but like well the other band archaic that i was in for a while we were doing a lot of like more like cinematic sound stuff and we wanted to have things trigger and like play more like on time like with the actual tempos of the of the music so we we would have like a little you know like an ipad or not ipad like an ipod with like, you know, click and guitars on one side and then all the sounds on the other mm. and just like pan them and tell the front of the house. Yeah. Guy. And that was like very basic, just trying to get into it. And like now it's like stuff is like way more intricate. And, you know, I think like Carl Sanders from Nile used to have like bring like a full on like computer on stage. Like you like wow. some like it's a little bit like scary. Like when I think about that, I'm just like, man, like if that if that thing just crashes, like. But if I, if I have to be honest, since we, you know, we've been doing this for years now and yes, it's always risky in terms of, you know, your, your, your computer can crash. And if it happens, you're basically, you're stopping the show, Mm -hmm. but 
we had way more technical problems concerning amps. If you carry amps, I mean, if you go around, if you tour a lot, you might be, maybe you're not able to find the right amp or maybe you find a crappy amp if you go to a, at a festival or maybe on tour, mm-hmm. uh, you just have rentals or or you, you borrow them from other bands. And yeah. that, you know, especially with when you carry them a lot, they can get broken easily that it happened to us. We, we started with, with amps, uh, with, uh, with heads and cabinets. Like mm-hmm. in 2011, we had like a full rig, like traditional rig. Uh, for bass and the two guitars, but we had so many problems. And then we had so many monitor problems because oh, the right. monitor guy is, it can, he can be your best friend, but or your very often he, he isn't. So <laughs> you're like, okay, I remember this, this show we had, I don't remember it in Richmond, uh, Virginia, there, mm-hmm. this club, I don't remember the name. I, I played there several times and there was this old guy at the mon- doing the monitors and every time he was like smashing one or more elements uh, on sta- on the stage monitors, like really pushing loud. Like uh, I remember once what it was the orchestra. It was so loud that mm-hmm. wow, we, you couldn't like, hear drums right. on stage. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's, it was just, and he couldn't. He, he wouldn't give a shit about anything you <laughs> you would tell him. Oh man, man, this is painful. Just give me give me some more bass and guitars, and he wouldn't listen. So. Mm-hmm. Because probably he he couldn't listen because he was deaf. So it's uh, <laughs> we started by saying, okay, we want a standard. So the standard is here. It can be here. It can be with us all the time. So mm-hmm. click tracks. We also have many you know stops like breaks in within the song. So I can play the piano without having the drummer uh, keeping the tempo, or we can have arpeggios and stuff uh, with no drums at all mm-hmm. so, and you guys are all uh, playing in time really, that's much more powerful or mm-hmm. when you, you you have to start over you just start over so it's so much more effective also your monitors are always pretty much the same because it's always everything is in in here mm-hmm. and we have much more control so in the end yeah we might yeah you might experience some technical issues but it's not much worse than using, you know, going full analog all the time because mm-hmm. you can have problems in that way, that way as well. Yeah, someone often. drops a head, breaks a tube or something, or yeah, something yeah, like. it's it's uh, and, and you don't have a standard. Uh, you can't play our stuff with different amps every night. It's it's crazy. Mm-hmm. So um, or different monitors, different balances. Uh, how can how can you do that? Uh, we everyone is way happier now. Even yeah, we know that you know we may we might miss the you know the power of having you know amps on stage providing you know some uh, some energy on your back, but mm-hmm. uh, we are getting used to this, and now we can't. We had a tour in South America five years ago, and they, <laughs> the I remember we had a connection in in London, and they lost one of the two units, mm-hmm. the one with the the, the sound card. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the uh, focus right and the splitter and everything so the the other unit was just um wireless which were useless and we had there was no way to for us to to, to perform so i remember i i borrowed uh, a sound card during my like a pre-sonus from krim karim uh, mm-hmm. who was the, he's the drummer for septic flash we were touring yeah. with them so i remember we we had you know the drummer who was the only one having the click and everyone else was on me included. We were on monitors, 
and it that lasted five days because that that damned unit mm-hmm. was impossible to, to to trace to track wow. uh, i mean we were in constant contact with uh, the assistance of uh, i don't remember iberia or uh, i don't remember which ireland mm-hmm. and they were like man this flying case can't be found anywhere we we're like wow <laughs> and yeah. the problem with south america is that every day you fly to a different location oh, so you can't it's very difficult to to get it delivered to the location that you you won't be at the next day so uh we managed in the end uh because the, the problem was that the tag was basically ripped the the baggage had no 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 tag anymore mm-hmm. so they couldn't find it but we we provided a description and you know among all the lost items it was the only flight case with, with that specific shape and specific weight mm-hmm. so they and they they finally found it and we had it delivered in a four or five days where <laughs> we had horrible shows but you know but we had the monitors and 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 high ads but it's okay <laughs> You got to pick your problems, pick your problems, right? So like I know Craig has talked about making things more simplistic as he gets older. And it's like, it used <laughs> to be like a forum warriors and you're arguing about which tube amp is the best for live. And then eventually you just like, I need efficiency. Like I just gotta, I need everything to be efficient. Yeah. And that's gotta be a very fast setup, like to get on stage and start setting that up. It's gotta be pretty quick. Yeah. Especially if, if, uh, if changeover times are kind of, short and tight like it happens a lot so yeah because you could basically have all that stuff turned on and basically booted up and ready to go before you can just wheel it out on stage and then just get everything else basically put in place like you know making sure all the drums everything's just plugged in seems like it would be uh have you have you seen um that there are like now it's 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 more and more popular uh having uh you know there, there's plenty of bands having their own mixer they use most of the time, 90, 90% of the times it's a uh, Behringer X32, mm-hmm. the rack version, which is, you know, you can control it with uh, your iPad. And okay. I saw many bands doing that, even big bands, like having the sound engineer just connecting uh, the left and right, going to the front of house, and then controlling everything from monitors to levels to EQ, everything uh, through the iPad. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah, many, many, many bands. Also, you know, having uh, every, everything, uh, let's say, doing everything in the box with a laptop also allows you to do like volume automations for all the instruments involved. Uh, if you have an X32, for example, you can use a VST controller to automate even vocals and, and stuff like that. So you can have like silence, mutes when, you, when it's needed, no feedback, no, nothing. Uh, mm-hmm. For example, Francesco, uh, you know, the, the, my singer, uh, a former drummer and now singer and guitarist, mm-hmm. he is like for, you know, he has to sing and kind of interact with people. So sometimes uh, he forgets to just put the volume knob down to avoid noises. So we managed to find, you know, all the spots where he's not playing and or just singing or maybe at the end of the song, I just put the mute on his track and he's like he can't do any kind of crazy thing and just put his hands get, up just yeah. like open up like just like pick all the strings and like you hear yeah nothing. yeah just like that no i mean <laughs> it's it's uh it's very useful for in, in that regard 
for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Especially when you have, you know, like live stuff going on. Cause sometimes you'll just hear, you'll get like crazy feedback issues or, you know, sound guys yeah. turning things up too loud and it starts bleeding yeah. into microphones and it could just, it can get really, really messy, really quick. Yeah. It's, I mean, we have, you know, good, great sound guys. I'm especially now, now, now that we, uh, we use this, the system, the figure, we figure out a way to make guitars thicker by basically splitting, having stereo guitars, but not using a, as a proper stereo, like uh, with a proper stereo feed. Basically, we use two different signals. We send the, the, the main amp signal to two different cabinet simulator, mm-hmm. which is kind of, uh, you get two slightly different sounds coming from two different outputs. So we have four guitars in total, like mm-hmm. one for the left, two for the left guitar and two for the right guitar. So oh, that's cool. Putting them, laying them, and putting them slightly out of phase, it get, gives you more, uh, let's say, beef and uh, and a cooler sound. Uh, yeah, which kind Just of thickens it up. Yeah, c- kind of makes up for the you know the fact that you're using a digital simulation, which is not even a top-notch simulation. It's a, it's a good simulation, but it's kind of lightweight. Yeah, it's crazy because I remember back in the day, I mean, people probably still do this now, but like they would have like two different cabs on stage and they would Mm. have this like uh, some kind of device that sort of puts them off slightly. Yeah, yeah, it was like some kind of like it, it, you're hearing both of them at the same time, but it would kind of give them a little bit of a delay. So it has a little bit of that sort of not quite at the same, you know, hearing it all at the same time. But yeah, it's just crazy how it's like so much stuff is is way easier now. Like I haven't played a show in like almost nine years since like 2013. And, wow. you know, and back then it was like, you know, 6505, you know, 12 space rack with a bunch of stuff, 412. And just like, you know, going back to what you're saying about the Tetris game, like we had like a little like four by six trailer. So we had to really play the Tetris game. And if one thing wow. was off, take everything out. Like, oh, how come this one thing doesn't fit now? It's like, oh, you'd messed up. You didn't, you didn't follow the steps, you know? <laughs> yeah. And, and it's to like, be, to be very, very meticulous. Yeah. And, but it's like nowadays, like so much stuff is, is way easier now. It's like, you just, you know, as long as you're understanding the technology and how to make it happen, like it's really, ne- yeah, it's never been easier to like travel so lightweight. That's, that's really cool. It, thanks for breaking all that down. Could you tell us about a personal project you're excited about that's outside of the band? I've been, you know, lucky enough to be involved in in different in several projects with, with several bands, which are in many cases way bigger than 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 my main band. So um, I think that was really that has been really rewarding for me, and really it's also a way to kind of incorporate creativity and and channel that in different ways with different styles. It's, it's still metal. Uh, I think the uh, the most diverse band that I worked with. Uh, I mean, compared to what I do in with Flashcut, is uh, probably Eyes Nine Kills. They're mm-hmm. uh, more towards yeah that that they're heavy, but they are like influenced also by rock music. They're they're basically a metalcore band with uh, many different influences. They they they're really doing any kind of crazy things mm-hmm. all the time. Like they go from the most like brutal or technical, uh, even, you know, with kind of reminiscent of death metal in many ways or death core mm-hmm. uh, to more like rock 
rock oriented or punk oriented things. So they're really diverse and I really enjoyed working with, working with them because they have this horror, let's say that they're, uh, so that the main thematic element for the band is the inspiration that comes from horror movies, games, books, and any kind of horror source mm-hmm. or thrillers, you know, and so they, their music is very cinematic and very, I find it very inspirational Mm-hmm. In many ways, also because they always ask me, uh, they, they they keep asking me for so many different atmospheres and soundscapes. From song to song, you you go from you know traditional orchestration or like old school orchestration because maybe they have a song about Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho, so any kind of Bernard Hermanescu uh, mm-hmm. string arrangements. Uh, or maybe on some other songs you have uh, another a completely different source. So uh, I don't know Stephen Stephen King novel, uh, or Silence of Lambs, or mm-hmm. uh, or American Psycho. So they want completely different soundscapes, a complete different palette of sounds. Not just it's not just okay or orchestrating using the orchestra in different ways or in different styles. It's having a completely different palette for each song. Uh, and they have a very, they have very clear ideas. They say, okay, maybe here, okay, we have this, uh, this American Psycho song. I want you to go like full eighties on this part. Like they have a, a full, uh, full break with uh, which sounds like uh, a rock song from like pop rock song from the eighties. Man, many, many different. There's another song where they said, okay, can you do a, like a kind of a in contrast with the song, which is very brutal, one like a Disney esque orchestral break here or it does uh okay can you put some monster movies like from the 30s kind of uh, arrangement here or atmosphere on the intro or uh, stuff like that so it's very diverse and it's some stuff that i don't usually i don't have the chance to do Mm -hmm. because if i work with a band they might want something ah we want something like flashcard style so more like cinematic traditional bombastic uh, orchestral music or maybe dark like cinematic music or i uh, have this heavy like a super heavy riff so i i love something like a very like action movie like an, some kind of action movie movie cue on top of this stuff like that or very dark very gothic so it's it's cool to have a band which uh, is kind of kind of asking you to 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 step out from your comfort zones very often so i, I experimented a lot with them and sometimes I spend like I spend so much time on a small fragment or a small intro, small you know interlude, just because it was something so diverse from what I usually do that I had to study, uh, literally study how to do that, how mm-hmm. to achieve that kind of sound. Or maybe I spend like hours or days just selecting the sounds that I would use on that specific song, maybe even sampling sounds from the the source, you know, like. Okay, that's the Evil Dead song. Okay, let's sample some screams or stuff, some stuff, and let's distort it or let's mangle it in order to to make them even unrecognizable, but mm-hmm. still having something Those which elements. is some thematic elements which are you know strongly directly connected with the source material. So I remember like there's uh, this Pet Cemetery song from the novel, and then the the movie series that are, that are like there's an old movie series and then uh, the remake the mm-hmm. reboot 
of Pet Cemetery. And I remember since the, the all this kind of Native American thing behind it, so there was this breakdown, and this is something that they, they kept. When, when I work with metal bands, with most metal, metal bands, they want a traditional approach, but with them, and I, I can experiment a lot. So, for example, there was this breakdown. So all I did on the breakdown was putting, uh, I found uh, like a Native American chant, like a, a, an old guy singing. Uh, it's just the atmosphere that, create that it creates on the song so that this heavy breakdown i i didn't know what to literally what to put on top of it uh i was about to leave it like kind of blank okay just guitar driven riff and that's it maybe some uh, risers some tension builders here and there and that's it and then i came out with okay let's let's put something weird uh i came out with this like indian chant idea like a cherokee chant like a traditional prayer I mm-hmm. put it on top. I played a little bit with uh, um, a little bit of like, uh, I gated it. I remember I gated it uh, with um, the chopper. Oh, okay. Mangling it, distorting it with like, some huge like delays and reverb and then putting this chopper. So uh, at first and auto pan. So in a way that it starts like a floating voice. So it's floating around on the, on the breakdown. Mm-hmm. And then it starts breaking with the chopper is basically applying applying like this filter and you can sync it and you can you, you, it can have like a saw wave or sine wave you can apply that any kind of filter to it mm-hmm. so it started chopping the the voice so it becomes really weird and 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 kind of alien like and it it starts floating even faster so it, this simple idea which is nothing special mm-hmm. just it, it's on the record i mean when i work with them Many things that they come up with, they get either maybe they're kind of low in the mix because they are more, you know, uh, they are guitar-driven band, so they sometimes they they don't like to keep like orchestrations or keyboards that high in the mix. But then when they like something, I really know that because it will be really present in the mix, and you know, this is one of the, all the things they kept really loud. Mm-hmm. So just to give you an example of this, or uh, I remember there's another thing. Another song based off uh, Cabin Fever. You remember Cabin Fever, mm-hmm. the the movie? So where everyone was having this weird virus, where which would cause rash, and you start scratching yourself to death. Mm-hmm. So for that, this is way beyond traditional orchestration or symphonic stuff. It's okay. I have to do something. It starts with a kind of a, a piano guitar uh, kind of intro. So I, uh, without, with a, with a guitar lead, but no rhythmic elements except for some drum accents. So I had this idea of keeping, of sam- having a sample of someone scratching his skin. I worked on the sound. I, I added effects and I, I, I played a little bit with the pitch and I created a loop with that. So it, the song starts with something that sounds like, basically it sounds like a shaker now mm-hmm. because it's, there's auto pan and and uh, and uh, I basically with the pitch shift I created a rhythm out of it. It sounds like a shaker, but it's not. It's actually actually someone scratching its uh, uh, you know their their skin mm-hmm. and but put them putting them in a musical context. So mm-hmm. ju- just to give you an idea of how creative you can you can be working with a band like this, yeah, uh, way beyond cool. traditional stuff that you do. But I think that. It's more like being a movie. I'm not a movie or a TV composer, but it's pretty much like being something like working pretty much like in the, in the same way uh, with them. So I'm pretty happy 
but also many other metal bands I really enjoyed working with was uh, are Amorphis. Mm. Uh, Amorphis are really they produce great music. I love them and I love working with them. And they they really go sometimes they really ask me to go. Uh, you know, kind of crazy with the orchestra when some specific sections. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're not a symphonic band, but they like to incorporate symphonic elements. I liked working with Angra, which are the which are Brazilian progressive metal band, mm-hmm. uh, which I worked on the orchestration for a few years back. And Shadow of Intent, also one of they are basically we're friends. We tour together and. Craig, for sure, he knows them. Uh, yeah, I actually they, just heard about. Uh, I was checking out some stuff. They, I saw they were posting some like studio vlogs of. Uh, yeah. Of them like working on some stuff. Oh, that's cool. I didn't. I didn't know. Yeah, because that. Yeah, they definitely have a lot of um, symphonic elements, especially in like the the newer stuff. Yeah, the, it's cool to, like I said, maybe with 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 bands like them, it's more like okay, I'm doing what I do for Flashcard in a slightly different way, but it's pretty much the same kind of things. Uh, with Flashcard, we don't use modern sound design elements because it's it will be weird. Uh, we are we have this kind of decadent, old-fashioned image, and mm-hmm. I don't I can't use like modern scoring techniques like or or sounds like the, I don't know Brahms or yeah stuff Brahms like that. and or like huge trailer uh, impacts and synthetic risers and stuff like that. That I maybe. Uh, using for for other bands, which mm-hmm. can incorporate more modern elements like synths and stuff like that. That that, that that's what I what I like about you know exploring the sound palette when I start working on something. I spend maybe two or three days or even more just selecting the sounds that I will be using. The more important and exciting the project is, the more I will spend on just on this thing. It's more relaxing. You can do just you can do it without overthinking to oh, is this part going to work? Oh. They wrote it. I just have to make it sound better. That's yeah. it. It's like producing what like they like they got the idea, just needs a little little bit of yeah, yeah. attention. It's surprising. It's surprising. Sometimes even unknown band, they come out the they 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 came out with really cool ideas on their own. All I have to do is adding some doubling, some maybe some some extra elements, but not that much because they're like uh, everything is sound, everything works. So some other times they just ask me, okay, we have this line, just use them as a starting point, as a blueprint. And that's really useful in any way, even if they're kind of basic, because I know where they want the orchestra to be more present or, uh, you know, prominent to, to take over all the rest. They want more epicness, or maybe they have a melodic idea in mind, which is cool. And I just keep it as it is. And then I carve everything around it. So mm-hmm. it's it's really it really depends there from every every single case is a different scenario. Totally, man. Well, I've just got a few quick questions for you and then we can wrap this up. You've been super generous with your time. Mm-hmm. Um, the first one Pleasure. the first one I've got for you is uh, what is one of your favorite YouTube channels at the moment? At the moment my YouTube feed is filled with uh, fitness bodybuilding stuff so it's kind of embarrassing i want no that's great man that. mine looks, mine no, looks no, I mean, it's it's um i think one of the first channel i really i really started digging digging into uh, a few years back was uh rick beato's channel yeah oh yeah uh you probably know mm-hmm. it know him uh, he great. is really great 
uh, in general, uh, what I follow, I, I love my, my, my passions, my two main passions beside, beside music are, uh, yeah, fitness, but also movies. So, but, but I don't follow many, many cinema channels, uh, if, if I have to be honest. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of the time I spend my time on YouTube uh, watching uh, in tutorials or instructional videos or even breakdowns, uh, theory, musical theory break, uh, breakdowns or song breakdowns or arrangement breakdowns, orchestration breakdowns. So mm-hmm. on the technical side, I would say, besides Sound Iron, of course, uh, the Sound Iron <laughs> channel, um, which is, no, I find really, sometimes I, I really spend some of my free time watching Craig showing, uh, you know, how, I, I, what I like about your channel is that you, you, you don't just, you know, you don't just scroll through the preset of any of a, of a new library, but you're, you're, you're showing it in context. What, that's what you guys do. And that's what I love. Because oh, thank you. that's what's what's missing on many, uh, yeah. Besides the the demo, which you you don't exactly know what's behind the specific demo. Maybe it sounds gorgeous, but then when you you, you get a library and then you start using it in your own music or you know in in, in practice, it, it's not what you search for. Mm-hmm. Then that, uh, that's why I like your approach. Oh, thank you. I find very. <laughs> A, a very great, a great channel that that I love. Uh, I, I find it very inspirational, and I also love the way it's it's presented, the the the, the content, um, the, the the idea behind it is twelve tone. Yeah. I don't know if you, know, if you guys know it. Yeah, I've heard yeah. that. Uh, I, I've I am I'm, I'm a huge fan of that guy. I don't, don't remember uh, his name, but I, I think he's a pure genius i mean what he does with the, the fact that he's drawing on the sheet and he's explaining incredibly complex things but the way he, he explains it the way he breaks down the deepest like the deepest most advanced musical theories and concepts with just explaining them with small elephants just hand drawn yeah uh, in real time it, i think it's one of the most glorious beautiful ideas i've ever i've ever seen mm-hmm. on a on a youtube channel i mean it's the for also for educational purposes it's really cool we're gonna have to start doing that craig yeah i gotta i gotta bust out my uh <laughs> my procreate on my ipad like <laughs> <laughs> yeah another another youtube to, just to wrap this up it's uh another channel that just came um just thinking about is the corridor crew channel Oh yeah. Um yeah, the you know the VFX VFX artists react to and that that's really funny and really 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 uh, interesting. Yeah, the watch. stuntman, the stuntman too, are really good. Yeah. But I've always been, you know, you remember that uh, VH VHS series that was like 30 years or 25 years back it was uh, it was like a, a series showing you how special effects are made in movies. I don't remember. Oh, movie magic. Uh, movie magic. Yes. Yeah, I used to watch that on Discovery when I was a kid. Yeah, in Italy, we back then you, you couldn't have it, you know, broadcasted. But there was this. Um, they were selling the the episodes on, um, you know, on the, the, for, for each, each month, a new mm-hmm. episode will come out on VHS and you could buy it. Oh, that's cool. uh, so 
yeah, yeah, it was, I, I had all of them. And nice. it was way before the digital, you know, digital effects came out. So yeah. everything was practical. And I love that how the, you know, the corridor crew guys, they, they sometimes they break down even old movies with all the practical animatronics. And I, I really love it. It's, it's mm -hmm. crazy. Yeah. I've seen, I remember seeing all this stuff with like Rick Baker and, and him showing yeah, how he was wow. doing stuff for like yeah, American Werewolf. And Rick, Rick Baker is, yeah. Is he still alive? Yeah. And he's, and he's oh. still just as badass as ever. He's still wow. like, he, he's like, like a really good artist, painter, special effects. Like, yeah, dude is just, he's, he's you, a whole other beast. You remember that, uh, I don't remember the, the English title for it. Um, that movie with Sigourney Weaver being a scientist studying gorillas. I know what you're talking about. But that movie, basically, all the gorillas that you see are just people in suits. And those suits were made by Rick Baker. So, I mean, not all of them, but at least half of them. Mm -hmm. the the ones that uh, that interact with the uh, with actors at least so i remember watching a movie magic there was an episode about that movie and real gorillas couldn't really i mean they weren't uh, showing any kind of different behavior when the guys with uh, the, the, because the suits were were so realistic that i'm not sure the gorillas couldn't tell but they they were kind of cool with them so <laughs> uh, it's crazy Gorillas in the Mist is what it's called. <laughs> yeah, Gorillas in the Mist. Yeah, it's the same title we have in Italy. Nice. All right, the next question is best recent purchase under $100. Recently, Oceania on a flash sale. Performance okay. samples Oceania on a, on a flash sale. It's been priceless. I mean, it's, it's really gorgeous. I mean, it's, it's so, so easy to use that. Mm -hmm. uh, I started using all the time. Yeah, <laughs> That's, yeah it's a cool library. Very yeah. nice. All right. My last question for you is what goals do you have for the next couple of years? Uh, what's next for you? Winning an, winning an Oscar? Maybe. Oh, no. Okay. All right. All right. Going big. That's too much. That's too <laughs> I like much. it. I like it. Shoot for the stars, That's my man. That's too much. Uh, the goal, I think that uh, getting finally back on the road yeah. uh, for an act. I mean, not all the time, but at least uh, with... Uh, with a perspective on that without mm -hmm. any more uh, hiccups, viruses or wars, you know, it's, it's, it's a pretty, pretty complicated situation, but mm -hmm. I think that I hope we'll be back on track and, you know, kind of doing our thing and way better than before. Now that we have, uh, I think that COVID was kind of um, instructional in a way. Uh, he showed us that if you really care about something, you don't want to lose it. And mm -hmm. working with music, it's not like, or being, you know, with creativity in general, it's not like any other job. So it might be extremely stressful or disappointing at times or frustrating, even uh, when you think about continuity or career, or, you know, you look at, maybe you, sometimes you look at other people more, more successful than you, that that's more, very, very common, but in general, I wouldn't trade it for any other job. So it's. Mm -hmm. Uh, my my goal is to be to keep doing <laughs> making music which is yeah. something that you you can't take for granted mm -hmm. I, I think i will keep studying and be curious that's that's what i and until i'm 80 or i'm you know until i'm i'm on the deathbed i think i will still i hope i hope to be curious as i am today so 
He's got to be like the Del Secchi's guy. Just stay thirsty, my friends. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is awesome, man. I really, really appreciate you coming on. And it's great I, to finally I, I, sit and I hang out and so talk to you. I had so much fun. I had so much fun. And it was, you know, very nice to finally meet you uh, yeah. in in the flesh, in a way. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, hopefully we get to it. hopefully we get to meet at Hellfest. That'll be awesome. Uh, so. when, when are you playing? Uh, we're, we're playing on uh, Friday, I think. Francesco, it was a pleasure. I want to thank you so much for being on and chatting with us and, you know, letting us know all the things that are going on with you, man. So, you know, definitely looking forward to uh, seeing you you at Hellfest and seeing everything that you got coming out in the future. And yeah, man, just keep doing it. I'll see you at Hellfest and hopefully soon in the US. Yeah. Yeah. If you guys are coming out here, man, I'd love to come see you guys. Bye bye. All right. See you. Take it easy.